Aaron, hello, and welcome to the latest edition of Weasel Radio, the podcast uh, featuring Screeching Weasel's Ben Weasel. I'm Owen Murphy, his co-host, and the guy that just kind of chuckles along as Ben says things that are, frankly, crazy. Um, if you don't mind, please follow us on Twitter. You can follow Ben at Screeching Weez on Twitter. That's W-E-E-Z. You can follow me under my new musical project called New Age Healers, at New Age Healers. Also, take a listen to the New Age Healers, my project, my musical project, on Bandcamp, if you don't mind. Uh, uh, it'd just be great for you to have you check it out. It's kind of a shoegaze, psych rock kind of thing. I suppose some punk in there. And a lot of the songs were written based upon, you know, many of the conversations that Ben and I had about, you know, creating new music. Also, if you don't mind, please log on to ScreechingWeasel.com. For, uh, there's new t-shirts there. There's tour news. There's amazing music. There's also a, a message board that maybe Ben will let you in on. Uh, uh, it's pretty fun. I check it out on occasion and ignore it most of the time, but it's pretty cool. And it's, your, it's direct access to Ben. Pretty neat. Uh, also, if you don't mind, on iTunes, please uh, comment and review this podcast. Apparently, that's important for making it more popular. It'd be great to have others know about it and listen to it. So if you don't mind, review or comment, so on and so forth, what you think of the podcast. And we'll read them, and uh, maybe we'll even listen to what you have to say, but probably not. So without further ado, here's Benjamin. Here's myself. It's the Weasel Radio Podcast and away we go. Hey there, it's uh, another webso- episode. It's a webisode. <laughs> Welcome to the webisode. I'm Elmer Fudd. Oh. Thank you very much for being here. Hello. Oh. Uh, I'm Owen Murphy. I'm in Seattle, Washington, thereabouts. I'm north of there, actually. I'm not actually in Seattle. Uh, that's Benjamin Weasel. He's in Madison, Wisconsin. Not really. He's kind of more south of there, kind of. Uh, and this is the first Weasel Radio podcast in, well, I was going to say nine months, but actually about an hour, because uh, we just recorded one and then threw it away, and we're doing it again. That did not happen. That's not, <laughs> what, this, that didn't happen. Yes, it did. We haven't done one in so long, we needed a warm-up. It's that's fine. right. Yeah. Um, ben, I'm a little hoarse from all the screaming yeah. I did at you, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you make a you, you make a, jo- a, a joke, and the next thing you know, you, you realize you've actually kicked someone square in the crotch without even realizing it. So uh, um, it just annoyed me. But yeah. we can we can we can go through that again. I'll yell yeah. at you again. I'm no, we don't to. need to do that. Uh, I just want to tell you. Uh, I just let the so uh, this podcast is a little on the edge because I've opened the door to our front yard. Now it's fenced, but um, people it, it's a it's a it's a place where people walk by with their dogs. And my dog is now outside, and if the wrong type of dog walks by, or say our neighbor who likes to ride a skateboard with a beagle, uh, if that goes by our house, my dog's going to lose his mind, and I'm going to have to leave the podcast for a while. But he, well, he can't get over the fence, can he? He can. He is a, he's, he's got ups, as it were. He, uh, well, then, 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 then what are you doing, man? He doesn't usually do that, but he, he has done that on occasion. All right. Yeah. So, All right. All right, so real podcast, enough of Owen's nonsense. We're starting here, number one right there. It says London. Ben, uh, the band Screeching Weasel, of which you are the lead singer, did a show in London. What else happened on your trip to London, Ben? Well, it's, I sang really badly, for one thing. Uh, I had this kind of, I had three colds in a row. Ooh, the three Literally colds one, in a row. Yeah, one after How long another. Did that last? And I, ended, I mean, this went on for a period of... I don't know, months, a little more than a month. And then, and then I got over the cold before I left, but I had this post nasal drip and then, you know, you're on the plane forever in the dry area and then you get to London in the spring and it's damp and I don't know. But anyway, I more or less lost my voice halfway through the set. And so that was unfortunate. And I feel bad that I didn't perform up to my usual standards, but we will come back to London, uh, hopefully soon. And, put on a, a really good show. But uh, I had I never, when I'm on the road, have time to do anything. And most of the time, I don't want to. Some people would, I don't know, maybe say I'm kind of clinging to my hotel room. Who would say but... something like that? <laughs> <laughs> but then I would counter by pointing out that I don't know what the heck else I'm supposed to do. It's not like I'm there to party. But and then I don't the answer really against but the answer against that argument is what you did in London. So you make Yeah, because because it wasn't a normal situation. I actually had time for once. Uh, I had some extra time and I got over the jet lag really. See what I did? Hey, this was a smart thing. 
So I did the the overnight flight and um, went straight from the airport to the tattoo shop and spent, you know, eight hours at the tattoo shop. And that'll keep you awake. And so then I was able to get a good night's sleep. So there wasn't any jet lag to speak of. Hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, I was able to go. I went to the British Museum with Lucy Spazzy, can, which was fun. Can I, she lives can I, st- in can I stop now. you for a second? Yeah, go ahead. So I'm new to Instagram. Uh, I, I'm now on the oh. Instagrams. Um, and uh, I'm either, well, I must follow them because I see the posts. There are a large number of people who tattoo screeching weasel logos and uh, lines from musings up on various parts of their body. And this yeah. person, there's a person who then focuses on this in their Instagram feed. And what you get uh-huh. essentially is people's ugly body parts, <laughs> pictures of them on this Instagram feed. It's, it may be the worst feed on the face no. of the planet. No, my fans are beautiful. You must be thinking of some oh other Oh my bands. God, I saw, I, I saw a hairy part today, and I'm not sure if it was a leg or a gut or a you butt know, cheek. Most people, Owen, <laughs> and this may surprise you being the hairless How? Uh, gent that you are, but yeah, yeah. most people have body hair. Really? Yeah. Where? Various parts of their body. Get out. Surprising. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I was able to go to the British Museum. We saw a bunch of mummies. Oh my gosh. Wow. Mummies everywhere, as far as the eye can see. Um, and how tall were uh, they? I, w- I was able to. How what? How tall were they? <clears throat> they were lying down. I couldn't tell. Oh, I would have had to lie down next to them. And do you think they smell? Sure was... No, I don't. Oh. I don't. They're they're quite old. Yeah, but you think I'd be a well? Anyhow, go ahead. these aren't mummies from like a week ago. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they were made mummies many many. Now that would be a great museum. Ago. Yeah. Yeah. Fresh mummies. <clears throat> Wait, enough of this old wine. Bring us some new fresh wine. But I think wine. even I think even fresh mummies don't smell. I was just reading an article about that actually in National Geographic about some of these cultures to this day that mummify their dead. Wait, this and still they will happens? leave Yes, they will leave grandma sitting around for like 6 months before they bury her. And she doesn't smell because the the techniques they use for mummification are such that that um, there's no uh, decomposition. I mean, I think the whole point of it is to uh, to put a stop to the natural process of decomposition, right. which is obviously then what would cause the the smell, the putrefaction. Is that right? Putrefaction. That sounds right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I was able to go uh, to the Globe. The Globe is the the replica of Shakespeare's Globe Theater that I believe is built uh, in the same location. And it's an outdoor theater, but in the colder months, as when I was there, there is a smaller indoor theater. And I went with Poutine, the, the Screeching Weasel bass player, and we saw The Tempest there. And it was really... Uh, an incredible experience. In fact, I would say it was it ranks right behind seeing the Ramones for the first time wow. in terms of uh, uh, audience experiences for me. It was absolutely fantastic, um, just stellar acting uh, from everyone involved, and seeing it in such an intimate setting. I mean, this is a 340 seat theater. It's all wooden bench seating, um, and I was. I got one of the last three tickets available. So I was um, not by choice, but I was in the pit right by the front of the stage in the front row there. And the stage is so small, there aren't proper wings. So the actors not only enter uh, and exit from the back of the stage, but also down the walkway leading to the lobby. And then there are, you know, doors where they can get backstage at the end of that. So, you've got actors coming, going right in front of you and, and acting right in front of your face. Um, and the guy who played Stefano was, was interacting with me and, and, uh, it was, it was really a wonderful experience. I'm very, very glad I went because I was losing my voice. The weather was crummy outside. I was just in no mood. And I said, if I, if I was smart, I'd stay in, but I had the tickets and I, I got out there with poutine and, and, uh, I'm really glad that I did. I'm hearing a clicking noise. Are you hearing a yeah. clicking? What is I that? I am, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it is. Oh, I know what it is. 
it's uh, um, here. That's the easiest way to do it. It's the metronome. <laughs> it's the metronome for the recording that I forgot to turn off, and my other headphones were still plugged in. But that's that's taken care of now. The metronome isn't being recorded. It won't show up on the recording. Yes. But Yes, um, but it will allow us to have a, uh, a podcast that is in time when we add um, yeah. the drums Well, you can edit stuff. it. Yeah, you can edit it so that it's like a hip-hop thing. We can have a rap battle. There's only one problem with us having a rap battle. Uh, neither what? of us has the skills to have a rap battle. I, I bet if I practiced, I could do okay. Well, I suppose. So I saw Lindsay Hutton... Out there, I saw a lot of people. Um, Who was Lindsay I saw, Hutton? Uh, Lindsay Hutton, next big thing, uh, Scottish fanzine that started in 1976, covering punk rock. He's a, yeah, he's a great well covering uh, just all kinds of underground rock. I think it started. I believe he started, if I recall correctly, by doing like newsletters. Maybe for he he was he ran the Cramps fan club, and he actually ran it with. A guy I don't know his real name, but he who later became Morrissey from the Smiths. Are you kidding? So, so like I think Morrissey was the London branch, yeah. and and Lindsay was the uh, uh, the Scottish branch. But yeah, I believe Morrissey was was like the co-founder of the the first British um, Cramps fan club. I can't imagine how a conversation with Lindsay and Morrissey would go. They seem like they're not the same type of person. Maybe they were more the same type of person back then. But yeah, I would say that their lives probably took divergent well, paths. But just because I think I know Morrissey, maybe I don't really know Morrissey. So who am I to I say? I don't know any... I don't think I have ever heard a Smith song in my life. I don't know... Everybody tells me I must have, so I assume I must have. But I don't know... I, d- I know nothing about that him or that band except like the public persona mm. stuff. So... I just, it never interested me. But anyway, I, so Lindsay showed up. He showed up with gifts for my kids. He showed up with a gift for me, a absolutely fantastic uh, Campbelltown single malt scotch. I mean, this is probably the best whiskey I've ever tasted. Wow. I mean, just an outstanding whiskey. Um, and he showed up with the Dalmans. Uh, Andre and, and uh, Lene, uh, Lene sang on Baby Fat, and uh, they came down from Norway. They're, they're, they're a Norwegian husband and, punk band, right? Yeah, they're husband and wife, but they're also in the band, the Dalmans. So they've got their family and, and the band, uh, like the Manson family without the killing, I guess. Well, uh, so but, far, but who knows where they're going to go with it. I mean, you know, it's I'm a not, conceptual I'm thing. Not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to put any... Don't limit them if that's where they want to no, go with it. That's what I'm saying. I yeah. mean, that's not it's not for me to say. But anyway, so they were there. Andrea from the Manges showed up. And um, she is beautiful. That's funny. And uh uh yeah, a bunch of a bunch of um Katie from the message board. Remember the message board you used to be on? It's still there. She's Scottish, and, uh, right? No, she lived in Scotland. She's oh. American. Oh, you're kidding. She she lives in she lives in Manchester now. And oh, I she, thought she uh, was Scottish. <laughs> she lives in Manchester. She used to write for Maximum Rock and Roll, Katie O'Dell. Oh, the poor and thing. And she wrote, she wrote a column around the same time I did, and I think she lived at the Maximum Rock and Roll house. She Ooh. was going to, to college out in San Francisco. And she uh, was living in Scotland for a while. She has a, a family. She, a couple of years ago, though, got into, I guess she had been into it in her youth, but got into um, the metal scene, but like the sort of the punk, like, underground equivalent of the metal scene, and the worst metal, like, not good metal that, that like, Judas Priest or something, but just, like, the terrible where you can't read the logos of the bands at all, and that's, like, right. part of the appeal. <laughs> and it's all just unbelievably talentless, hacky. <laughs> it's basically like the hardcore scene in, in, right. in, in the U.S. It's just, they have no talent, they have no ambition to create good music. It's all scene, it's all scene stuff. Yeah. It's just like you're you're in a band, you call yourself metal, you scream and 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 bash and make noise. Okay, you're in. You're is, in the club. Is your lead singer usually sound like the Cookie Monster? 
Yeah, pretty much, as far as I can tell. But anyway, so she's really into that and does a blog, like, covering all that kind of music, which I believe, if I, if, if I sent her five records to review, got the reviews, and then just randomly posted the reviews to, like, mixed them all up and posted them to different records, I'll bet nobody would ever know, including the bands themselves. <laughs> I believe that. Well, with I've, all my heart. I, I've never really heard this music, but I, I have an image of, like, um, a lot of chunky but thin guitars and really tinny bass um, and uh, kind of know. Lars Ulrich drum stylings where it's lots of I think it's like all kind of like fills. it's like Slayer's retarded little brother or something you know yeah I don't know anyway we got off topic so she showed up and to, I posted a photo to my Instagram of me and it looks like I'm looking at a rack and I wasn't what I was, I couldn't believe she was like as tall as me, maybe half an inch taller. She's a tall lady. Hmm. And you weren't looking at it. was interesting. <laughs> sure. I mean, why don't you just admit you were looking at a rack? You've written songs about in the past, haven't you? Or was, it, was that Joe who wrote a song about if that? If I was, that was Joe. If I was oh. looking at a rack, I would be the first to admit it. But yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I was just like, I, I was just like, what the hell? Is she standing on a box or something? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but uh, anyway, so yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a, a fun time in London. I actually had a nice time and, and uh, we're doing a lot more because we are going out for our 30th anniversary. I know that's not next on the list, but I might as well mention it. We've got a bunch of shows. Just go to Facebook or ScreechingWeasel.com. We've we got a bunch more we're announcing, but we're doing, I don't know, we're doing a bunch of stuff for the 30th anniversary. Uh, 30 years, and I, wow, 30 years, and I was like, well, we were inactive for quite a lot of that. I think that's how we made it that far, but I'd like to make it another 30 before I die, because that would, that would, get me to a pretty ripe old age. What, what, why do you say we were inactive and that's why I think we made it? I don't know. Because that because doesn't if make I say sense. I, because, yeah. I, because if I say I, people won't know I'm talking about my band. That's why. I mean, what, you really want to be pedantic about this? Well, I, just, I guess, well, I don't know. I suppose I'm familiar with things, so <laughs> that struck me as ridiculous. Hey, can I read do you? Think, do, you think, do you think bands... A, a band leader should refer to his band as as a personal thing rather than as a collective so thing. So I know you don't like talking about this, but so now I released uh, some music online, right? Oh God, yeah. here we go. But so like, but, but you know, you know why I don't I like talking my about thoughts, this? But did I just finish no. my thought? No, yeah, you may not. Shut up. Do you know why I like, uh, don't like talking about it? Can why? I tell you? Sure. Because. Every single time, I like having friends that have nothing to do with music. I like that. Those are the only people I want to have anything to do with. And every time I befriend somebody and they get into music, then the friendship ends. Oh, I don't and say I that. And I would rather, I would rather, yes, it does. It's well, the truth. And we, I would rather that not, work a that not happen. But I, I've, I've found myself having difficulty because it feels egotistical to say I, but we feels disingenuous. So I don't know. Yeah, because you decided to call what your project to give it a band name. Yeah. But it's, but it's I. I mean, I think there are other people out there who do that, and I, I don't know. I think they say I. I don't really know, though. I don't either. So uh, can I read a tweet to you? This is from someone named Billy Joe Armstrong, who fronts a band called uh, Green Day, and he wrote. I don't. See, I don't see a date here. I think you like this. Oh, it's December thirtieth, twenty fifteen, at nine oh seven p.m. He wrote, "My mission for twenty sixteen? Question mark to destroy the phrase pop punk forever." Your reaction, Ben Weasel? Is the phrase pop punk, or is it pop punk forever? Pop is punk. He destroying it forever? Yes, he's. He wants to destroy the. Uh, the quotations are pop punk. And then forever. Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's one of those things. Any, any, any phrase, any genre begins to mean so many different things that it doesn't really even have meaning anymore. So I don't know. I mean, he's probably referring to stuff that I've never even heard. I mean, I, yeah, I, my, I mean, the only good thing that I think is happening in pop punk besides my own fantastic music is, um, <laughs> is stuff that I imagine most people hate, the more mainstream stuff. I think that's the most interesting. I finally listened to the most recent Fallout Boy record, Fallout Boy. Try and say that five times fast. Fallout Boy, Fallout Boy, Fallout Boy, Fallout Boy, Fallout Boy. Anyway, uh, 
I'd call it their new record, but it's not new anymore. It takes me forever to listen. I still haven't listened to the new U2. You told me it sucked, and that put me off. And yeah, sorry. It's not really new anymore. It's a couple of years old, isn't it? Yeah, it was released like on the day of the Super Bowl or something. Everyone suddenly had it on their phone, and it's just it was yeah. ten, it just it was boring. Which is, I I really I love them actually, but I don't think they've made good music in ten years. Yeah. Uh, so and, and, anyway, the and the, Fall Out Boy, the Fall Out Boy record I thought was quite good. It's and, awful. Um, it is a terrible. The songs I've heard. All right, well, awful. They're terrible. Well, you're wrong. But anyway, I think that's that is so <clears throat> much better, so much more interesting, so much more ambitious Owen, than than one, everything I ben hear uh, coming from coming from the pop punk uh, bands that are kind of more. Independent well, now I would agree with that because at least, I mean, I will say this, the follow boy band people are, they're trying to twist the genre in some kind of interesting manner. They're, they're taking the basic tenets, but then going somewhere new with it. At least that's my perception of it. Whereas most pop punk is almost like my grandfather doing paint by numbers yeah. where it's the exact same formula uh, you know, even down to like the vocalist has to be a certain kind of vocalist to sing. The chord changes are all the exact same. The tones of the guitars are the exact same. You're right. It's it, you know it reminds me. It reminds me of um, guys in their fifties, well, probably sixties now, who play like kind of Eric Clapton type white guy blues. <laughs> That's right. Which is That's exactly Oh, good Lord, shoot me in the screechy vocals and the exact same formula. That's what pop punk is now. And frankly, I, I hope people who make pop punk like this hear this and say, you know what? I'm not going to make pop punk anymore. I hope I'm, I hope I I'm pushing them happen. into a direction of doing something more, even just like a little twist, something a little different. I, I don't care. I don't care what they do. Anyway, uh, I was waiting for a ridiculous amount of time actually for a sandwich at this restaurant. And it's kind of like, I guess a small chain and their thing is they're rock themed. And so they have this video screen going, this was a couple of weeks ago and I had been doing yard work all day. Yeah. I was just taking a lunch break. So I'm sweaty and dirty and, and tired and worn out. And, uh, and this thing comes up, and it's an old video from the 80s of, um, he's the guy who died, kind of a white blues guy. Oh, Stevie Ray Vaughan? Stevie, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. And I'd never really paid any attention to, he was just terrible. He was just hard to watch. He was so bad. I mean, I'm sure he was really good at what he did, but what he did was so not worth doing that, that, it astounds me yeah. that th that's one of those things where like I can appreciate that he was probably really good at what he did, but, but I so strongly believe that what he was doing was a thing not worth doing <laughs> that it astounds hey, you me. You are that fantastic like at this thing that no one should do. You're it. You're yeah. the pinnacle of something no one should ever do. <laughs> but like everything, I mean the, the, the I'm in pain slash having an <laughs> orgasm faces as he's like really, cranking out a hot lick <laughs> it's just the 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 bandanas and scarves and uh, it's just did I tell you so I saw the, so pitiful i know we're way off on tangents here but did i tell you i saw the doobie brothers last year at the local zoo no but that's <laughs> that sounds like where they should be playing that sounds like a nightmare actually i think i had a nightmare where i saw the doobie brothers at, at a zoo well so a, a friend of mine has uh, access to free tickets so we go to it's called Zoo Tunes here. So we get to go once or twice a year and hang out. And, you know, it's nice because you sit and you, you bring food and you can hang Zoo out. Zoo Tunes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, I like it. <laughs> I'm, gonna go, I'm hoping to go see the B-52s this year. And, last, so, and I, there's a few Dewey Brothers tunes I like quite a bit. Are they the going to play by the aquarium? It was a rock lobster. <laughs> Look at you. Look what you yeah. just You just put the pieces together. Because they're going to incorporate yeah. a Zoo Tune. Yeah. So, but and they're going to change the lyric instead of Love Shack. What's it going to be? I don't know. But uh, what I I'm not uh, a Crab Shack. What I didn't get was, like, it, I don't understand bands like the Dewey Brothers, and in this case, the the long departed Steve Ray Vaughan. Why every song has to have, if not one guitar solo, two to three guitar solos. Like mm. I, I don't understand the thinking behind because they're, they're it's not like they're vastly different it's all just blues runs essentially with some twist that you're twisting the strings or whatever you know and and you're doing the same thing essentially every single song it's like there's there's 
like Eric Clapton has these musical festivals, which are essentially all versions of him or people he likes doing the exact same thing for upwards, I think, to three days, three days of every song having a minute to five minute long guitar solo. I mean, presumably, I agree with you completely, but presumably it's like jazz where or anything, I guess, that you're if you're not into it, um, then it all kind of sounds the same to you. And presumably for the blues guitar aficionado, there are all sorts of, you know, it's like Katie with her metal bands. I'm sure that she can give us a, a, a fascinating lecture on the... Um, on all the the um, subtle differences between uh, e- exploding anus and uh, and and charred fetal uh, uh, juice, but it, 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 we're probably not going to hear it ourselves. I, I didn't realize that it. part of that genre was uh, uh, logos that no one could read. But it's funny. I was at yeah. the local dog park. And there's a guy there who had long, dyed black hair, uh, and he was—I don't remember what his dog was—and uh, he had a, he had a T-shirt on that I couldn't read the logo, so I asked him what it was. Uh, you fool! And he said, "Oh, it's my favorite band. What, what's the name of the band? Lesbian." And I, there's no way in there. And it's like, I'm sorry, I've never I've never heard of Lesbian. Oh, they're a metal band. Oh, that's a good band name. I think it is a pretty good band name, actually. But I mean, then why would why would you have a crappy logo? Yeah, because it's a it's a it's a it's convention a of the genre. Yeah, yeah. I hate conventions of genres. So you, so, oh, you're so in London. When I'm in London, yeah, yeah, like I can't even. I get off the plane, right? And I'm gonna go to customs, and I got my work papers and everything. And keep in mind, I mean, and you know this, and uh, I don't like admitting it, but I've said it before. I'm like Danny Vapid when I'm on the road. I, I like all I have to do is step into the airport, and I lose. 75 IQ points right off the top. I don't see why we and have then, to drag Danny Vapid down with us while we're doing this podcast. Let's leave Danny well, Vapid out I, of it. I think I think Danny Vapid's already down there. I don't think he can be dragged any lower. Okay, but my God. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's just it's just I, I need to have a handler with me when I travel. So when I'm when I'm traveling alone as I did going out to London, yeah. I assume that everything's going to fall apart. And being who I am, I'm going to sit there like, you know, I'm just going to be like, okay, I hope somebody comes to save me, to rescue me, because I'm completely incapable of handling anything myself. You're a so, Disney female character. When you, when you go on the road, you become a Disney female cartoon character. I think, I think I'm more like Mr. Burns without Smithers. I'm just, I'm just completely not equipped to function in the world uh, and I, I might just, you know, I might like end up, uh, uh, on an Indian reservation, um, with a dog, uh, um, making blankets or something, because I think that's what people are supposed to do. You know, I, I don't, I just don't know, uh, what I'm doing. So what the hell uh, did so you just say? I go, I don't know. It's, it's a, it, if I'm at the airport and I'm confused, because the thing is, I get so after I got through customs, yeah, I there was I went out and I was going to find the I used my miles and bumped up to business. Ooh. And when you do that, they have these um, lounges that aren't a typical Delta lounge. It's like it's it's more like a welcome center, and you get a private bathroom with a shower in there, and you can get coffee and. And so forth. So I was going to go find that. And they provided directions on a card that they handed out. But I get, I get through customs and I go out and there's, um, like there's the luggage and, you know, carousels and everything. Um, and I had a bag, I had the backdrop in a, in a bag. So I get my bag and there's just a big sign that says customs over all the exit doors, like a huge sign. And I was like, geez, did I get turned around? I'm like, no, I came from there. So I go over to the Delta desk and I'm like, I'm like, where's the exit? And they're like right there. And I'm like, but that says customs. And they're like, yeah, you got to go through customs. I'm like, I just went through customs. They're like, no, 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 you have to go through it twice. I was like, what? Why? (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I guess I got to go through customs twice. So I opened the door and I just open out into into a normal airport area. There's no customs or anything, but for some reason they've got this humongous sign that says customs over the door. That's weird. Yeah. 
So I ended up completely lost. Some lady who worked for Virgin <laughs> Airlines ended up basically taking me by the arm and leading me to the Delta Lounge. Yep. But anyway, so I'm in line. Let's backtrack to when I went through actual customs. So I'm right. in line, and there's a guy there directing people to the customs agent, and he hears my accent and right away starts asking me about Donald Trump. And I swear to God, every time I turned around, it happened to my bandmates as well. Everybody's asking us about Trump. I'm like, all I can think at this point is I'm like, you know, what do you think of Donald Trump? They want to know. And it's like a litmus test, you know, like they want to find out if you're one of the good guys or something. And all I can think is I, I wasn't thinking about Donald Trump, but if he can get you this worked up, he's doing something right. Man. Yeah. I mean, I admire the guy for, from a, um, now I'm not talking about from a political perspective, but unfortunately 99% of the people out there, if I say, I like Donald Trump, it'll be like, I'm a right-wing uh, Hitler clone like Trump is, too. No, I like his showmanship. I like his, I like the cut of his jib, how he, how he does the, uh, you know, somebody compared him to P.T. Barnum, and he embraced it. He's like, yes, absolutely, He P. is T. absolutely P.T. Barnum. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question about that. I completely agree he with that. He's very, very he good at what master, he does. He is the master of controlling... Um, what is it? He's controlling the 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 he message. Controls everything. Yeah, but like he doesn't just control the message. He can he he controls how you hear the message. Yeah, pe- and people think he's an idiot. Oh my God, he's no. not an idiot. He has spent his entire life playing the system to his advantage in a way that is brilliant. Be it through the um, uh, bankruptcy courts or even now this presidential run, you know. I mean, you think of like where he came from. He's just like some rich dork from New York City, which in New York City, that's a dime a dozen. Pardon the, you know, the pun there. But somehow or other, he continually built upon his own fame in a way that is nearly unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, I I have never paid a lot of attention to Trump. I have not had a favorable opinion of him, but I very much appreciate what he's doing. First of all, I appreciate that. Ted Cruz is not going to be the nominee and that we won't have to suffer through a Ted Cruz presidency because that would have been uh, really hard to take. That would have been a very bad thing for the country, I think. Um, but I appreciate that he has upended, and a lot of people think this signals um, an end to traditional uh, political campaigning, and I think they're completely wrong about this. But but he has completely upended the everything he's changed the rules uh they're probably not changed permanently but for this election cycle i mean he's he's done everything about as wrong as you can according to conventional wisdom and yet it's all worked for him and i love that i, I love just that love too. The, i love the disruption i love the chaos i love the anarchy yeah and i think and i think you and i agree on this but we just sort of we disagree on some of the particulars but i think um, I think that is more than anything else the reason why he is getting so much support and so many votes. I think deep down, and maybe not even that deep down for a lot of people, but I didn't vote in the primary, and I'm probably not going to vote in the general election. But and that's my vote. And I hate when people oh, you got to vote, you got to vote. It it's it, that is my vote. None of the above is my vote, and that's a legitimate vote. So don't try and put me down or 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 say that. You know, I wasn't doing what I supposed what I was supposed to do. Like, I don't believe in I have to choose the lesser of two evils. That's not. No, you don't. Your choice can be I choose not to participate, and that's a valid choice. But, but, um, but that said, I, I am really impressed with what he's done, and I love, like I said, the chaos and the and the upheaval and the damage that it's done to the Republican establishment and the damage that it's going to do to Hillary Clinton. Um, and the Democratic establishment. I mean, to some extent, I admire Bernie Sanders for doing that, but Sanders, to me, is a more traditional populist candidate. Um, he's getting people on board because of the issues. Trump is not getting anybody on board. I don't care what you want to say about immigration and the wall. I don't think he's getting much of anybody on board because of the issues. He's getting people on board by sheer force of his of his personality and... As we, you and I have talked about privately, his persuasion techniques, which which have been covered very 
Um, interestingly, by Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, he has a blog where he has talked at great length and has been interviewed about these these blog entries on on various twenty um, four uh, hour cable news channels. Uh, but he's talked quite a bit about what Trump is doing and why it's working, and how he is a master persuader and deal maker, and how he's applying what he knows about you that know, I, to I, his run. I, and I don't totally understand what Scott Adams means when he says persuader. What does persuader mean? I think it, I think it is, you know, he's he refers to it uh, in some sense to um, the, some of the te- techniques that he learned studying hypnotism. And um, hmm. I think it's a matter of... Uh, you know, it's like a, in a way, it's like a con man. You're, 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 um, a con sort of man. Yeah, you're, you're sort of, you're sort of, um, convincing people of what you want them to believe. But the thing is, it sounds nefarious, but that's what we all do. And that's what all politicians do. But, but there's a traditional political playbook for that. And he is not working from that playbook, he's working from the Trump towers playbook yeah and it's it in everything we know about politics says this shouldn't work and if you read what the media was writing about it over and over and over again it's like this is why this campaign is going to implode this is why trump will not under yeah. any circumstances be the nominee and he's he's proved them all wrong it's really fascinating the the one thing i disagree with is that is the idea as some people have said that this is this res, you know represents a sea change in American politics and that people are going to campaign like this in the future. Because I think that, um, the ability to do what Trump is doing is so rare, right? That I don't think it's going to yeah. be that easy for, for, for just all politicians say, Oh yeah, I'm going to start doing that. We saw, I mean, a good example is when Marco Rubio tried to do it. He oh, tried to I hit know, Trump. It right. was just embarrassing and, yeah. and cringe inducing and yeah. awful. And, and you could tell Trump almost felt sorry for the guy. Um, <laughs> it just, it didn't work. I mean, Ted Cruz tried to do it and it didn't, it didn't work. It, it, it fell flat. You can't just pick that up and say, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. Part of the, part of, part of what he's doing is that it looks completely off the cuff. It looks totally easy and it's not, it's all really deliberate. What? I, I think strategically, I mean. yeah, yeah. I, I think strategically it's deliberate, but I, I do think there is. And so maybe I'm parsing, uh, you know, or, or, or digging too deep here. But uh, I think there is. Um, uh, he he does wing it at times. I mean, of course he does. He yeah, ad libs okay. it, but but he does it within very specific okay. parameters. Th- then we agree. Okay, I, I just, yeah. I don't I don't know why I had to stop in that tangent there. But for some reason, I need I wanted to clarify that. For who knows why it doesn't even it doesn't even matter. But let me ask you. Yeah. Okay, so uh, when the the election is over, Trump is now the Republican candidate. Whatever, unless something crazy happens. Uh, it, who will be the president of the United States come twenty seventeen? I, I I mean, you know. If you had asked me six months ago, is Trump going to be the nominee? I would have said, of course not. There's no way this. I would have been with everybody else and said this whole thing's going to implode. Yeah. I mean, I you can't predict, but based on how successful he's been, I have to think that he is going to destroy Hillary Clinton because she's she's operating from last century's playbook. Right. So and you know her what it people, is. It's her like insiders a, yeah. don't have a clue as how how, how to deal with it. Right. Him. It's like the 1933 Chicago Bears playing the 2015 <laughs> New England Patriots, right? That's right. Yeah. So That's they, right. They, they've just learned the forward pass, and they're, do, they're now in the triple <laughs> option. Whoa! And, they're, and there goes a, I don't know, whatever receiver for the Patriots zooming down the sideline beyond fast past these slow these slow former football players who are now 90 years old, right? Right. And yeah. I mean, if, if, if the nominee had been, um, what's his name, from Baltimore, uh, was it Martin O'Malley? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. remember the poor guy's name. Right. It might be a little bit different, but this is Hillary Clinton, who is already so disliked by so many people, and who even even among the people who like her, um, are aware that the perception of her is is one of a woman who is in a, a marriage of convenience for political reasons, and who is unbelievably corrupt, and and who has enriched herself. Uh, with her political career. And she's going up against a guy who has never held elected office and who is really good at framing people 
in a certain way and getting things to stick when he when he when he says things about them and he's done it with all of his opponents so far and there's no reason to think he's not going to be able to do it with her she is not a good first of all she's not a good politician she's not her husband yeah. yeah bill clinton is a very good politician hillary clinton is a terrible politician she succeeds in spite of of many many faults she doesn't connect with people she's nobody thinks she's sincere um Nobody believes she'll do what she says she's going to do. You know, she doesn't excite the base because the base, they want Bernie Sanders. They want somebody far to the left. She's going to be, you know, essentially a centrist. And she's not going to represent their interests in any way, foreign policy-wise. She's not going to, you know, blow up the banks. Or, okay, here's or a question for you. Here, here's a question for you. Uh, so let's presume that it's Hillary versus Trump. From your perspective, uh, for the country to be better now than it, uh, or then than it is now, even a little bit, what well, doesn't matter how much, uh, who is the better person to be in the white house, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? I actually think it doesn't make that bit of a difference. I think when it comes to actually governing they're they're going to have way more in common than a lot of people realize. I think that Trump will, uh, almost certainly govern as a centrist. I think that's what he wants. I think he's hinted at it. His campaign has certainly come out and said it. And I think what he wants is to be the next Reagan, but but probably less beholden to conservative principles. I think he wants to be somebody who really brings the country together. And I think his way of doing that is going to be to govern as a centrist. I mean, this isn't a guy who cares about... Um, conservative positions on social issues. And I think that his positions on immigration and, and uh, foreign policy are nowhere near as uh, bellicose as, as he has put out there so far. I think you're going to see a, so you're uh, saying those positions were red meat for the base. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that I'm not saying he's lying about it, but I think he's overstating for effect. I mean, I think that, I think that he is, you know, the campaign has come out and said he's going to pivot to the center and, and in doing that, you can't be, um, you know, you know, you've got to take your positions and then say, okay, now I'm going to go negotiate. I think what you're going to see out of him is probably the exact opposite of what you've seen from Obama, where he will do everything in his power to get Congress to work with him rather than trying to create this polarization and then playing to the base with that and saying, see, these people won't, you know, these people are the problem. They won't let anything get done. And, you know, instead of actually, you know, getting his hands dirty and going in there and saying, no, let's, let's make it get done. Let's do some deals. And I mean, I, I I think that Hillary Clinton would, would govern more or less the same. I don't think, um, I don't think she would, if you put her in office during the time Obama's been in office, I don't think she would have encountered the kind of opposition because she's smart enough to know you've got to, you know, you've got to get along, number one, and you've got to make deals. And I think Obama wasn't ever willing to do that with the Republicans. And, I, and, and so, I mean, I think foreign policy-wise, they wouldn't be that far apart. Um, I think on immigration, ultimately, they wouldn't be that far apart. I mean, the Clintons, historically, both of them... Um, are, are not hard left on those kinds of issues, especially the ones that that people, that voters in the center care about. They don't push real hard on these hard left issues. This is this is incredible. Uh, I mean, what real, do you think? Am I wrong? What do you think about it? Uh, I'm changing the subject right now, uh, but All I want right. to, but I want to compliment you. Really incredible uh, political political insight that I think people need to listen to and learn from. Thank you. Um, <laughs> What? Don't be sarcastic. Well, I'm just being silly. I'm just trying. I'm actually just trying to pivot. I'm, I just that came out more. I was just being silly, but because um, uh, you you were talking about walking about being in London, and I actually, and I had a question I wrote down, but I didn't get to ask, and so now I want to ask the the question now, if that's okay. I, yes. I, actually, I don't care if it's okay or not, but certainly. So uh, here in the United States, we drive on the right side of the street. In London, my understanding is they drive on the left side of the street. Well, does that make sense? No, they drive. How, how would you state that? They, they, I would say they drive on the wrong side of the street. The wrong side of the street. Fine. So, so now, how, what side of the sidewalk do they walk on? Yeah, that's interesting that you asked that because I, when I was in the airport right after I <laughs> I um, got through customs and everything, I was thinking about that, and I was I was with my bag, and I was like, 
you know how it is in an airport sometimes when there's a lot of people, there's like this mass of humanity and you're like, you know, pick a side. You can't kind of figure out. And so I thought maybe everybody's walking on the wrong side. And so I tried that for a while, but it became apparent. No, they, they walk on the right side. But they drive on the wrong side. Yeah. How Explain stu- that. How stupid is that? Oh. So we do have another subject we need to pivot to, oh. though, before we're done, which is um, baby fat. Uh, and that is the record. Record? Can you say it like the word? Album? Uh, mm-hmm. that you released last year about this time, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And we talked extensively about it. Yes. Uh, and, and now there's an update on... Yeah, I mean, yes. I wrote it as as an album. It was not conceived remotely with any sort of theatrical production in mind. And but yet... There, and yet there is going to be a stage production in New York, July 21st to the 23rd at La Mama, and um, it's a small theater. There's a limited number of seats available. Tickets aren't on sale yet. I over the next probably month or so, I'll I'll be updating on social media and so forth. And if you're going to be in New York during that time and you're interested in in going to see essentially a musical of Act One of Baby Fat, that would be the that would be the way to do it. Is just kind of keep an eye out. Um, but yeah, this uh, right after the record came out, this fellow, uh, Michael Scholar Jr., he's a Canadian living in New York, had a, a theater up in, up in uh, has a theater company up in Canada called November Theater. He approached me, you know, he grew up on punk rock. He, in fact, he came, he grew up in, um, was it uh, Regina or Saskatchewan? Can, can, uh, I, can I ask uh, you a question? Saskatoon or something like that, yeah. If, if they pronounce it Regina... Don't ask me, brother. Then how do they pronounce the word for lady parts? I don't know. Owen. Is it vagina? Why, why don't we have why, why don't we have why don't we have Michael on and you can ask him? Yeah, so it's Regina. But anyway, he, Regina. he 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 grew up out there in the middle of nowhere. It's and, a fair and, question. And um, came to see the Riverdales uh, when we were on tour with Green Day. So that was um, wow. So he's forty. Anyway, years so ago. but yeah, he's a he's a theater guy and and was into it and wanted to proceed with it. And he's done he's done some work in that genre before. In fact, he did uh, he licensed and did the North American version of uh, Tom Waits' uh, thing that I think William Burroughs wrote. It was like a it was called Black Rider, and I think it was like an updated version of uh, Der Freischutz, the great German singspiel. Um, but anyway, so he's an interesting guy. He's very passionate about art and I've really enjoyed working with him so far. We had, um, a read through last week. It was just incredible. These actors show up and they're not getting paid and they just, and, and they're not in the production. They're just there for the, for the read through because auditions hadn't even happened yet. I think a couple of them are going to audition. Well, yeah, it probably puts them in good stead with the auditioning process, you know, or at least they think it does. Yeah, but I mean, a a good number of those people aren't available Hmm. to be in the show, but they just came down to... So they're solid individuals, kind people, sharing I think it's just that, you know, what I'm learning about that world, so so this guy showed interest and my literary agent, ha-ha, um, but I do have a literary agent, strangely, even though I don't publish anything, um, hooked me up with a lawyer in New York who specializes in, in musical theater, among other things. And, you know, we get this contract and it's a boilerplate contract. And he was saying, yeah, that's just, it's standard that everything is very artist friendly. Everything's very writer friendly in that world. Um, which is great. So, you know, I'm involved in this process from the get-go. I'm not in the show, obviously, and the band isn't in the show. But, um, but I'm involved, you know, as writer in this in this process pretty intimately. So I'm, you know, everybody who's getting hired, I know about and approve, and you know, et cetera. Um, but it's been amazing because we're on such a very small budget. And this is being done, La Mama's helping out, and then uh, Columbia University as well, which is where Michael is studying for his master's. Wow. Um, but it's a very, very, very low budget. And it's incredible to me what a, what a crew he has put together so far. I mean, 
people with very, very impressive resumes and, and you know, a few people who are quite well known in, in the theater world who are doing this thing just for, for dirt cheap. It's mm. just, they're into the idea, you know, they probably want the thing on their resume, but I mean, it's just incredible that, you know, he's putting together this wonderful, totally professional crew on such a small budget because you, I mean, in punk rock, you know, yeah, you can put together a group of people on a low budget, but it's going to be because they're not worth paying. (laughs) I mean, I've been, you know, 30 year anniversary. Okay. So 30 years of doing this and, and virtually everyone I've been involved in, including myself, maybe first and foremost, myself has been totally unequipped to do the job that they're doing. You know, you do it out of necessity, but you're not actually, you know, skilled at, at what you're doing. You're kind of learning on the job. So to have people come in on a low budget who are actually very good at, at, you know, who specialize in, in this, you know, particular area is really, um, enjoyable. So the read through went great. I, it was, uh, you know, one of the guys who read for one of the, uh, read one of the smaller parts was so good. And I said, Oh, can we get this guy for the production? No, he's not available that week. And I'm like, Oh man, he was just perfect. But it's, it was a cool experience to hear people reading, the dialogue and, and then being able to tell now that actual real actors are reading it, how does it work? Well, how are, are the funny parts coming across? Is this going to be, and, so it, it's an album. So I, I think of it as a bunch of songs. I think it's 26 or 27 or something. Yeah. But there's spoken uh, dialogue as but, well. But there is, okay. Well, I guess I've kind of forgotten that. Um, yeah. Well, that's interesting. God, it, you know, I'm actually blown away by this. I just think it's so cool. For first off, I will be there for the for that opening oh, night excellent. performance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe we should do a podcast. Out we'll go. There. We'll go together. Certainly, we can do a podcast. Why not? Oh, I, I'm not going to go with you. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll I'll see you. I'll wave to you if I see you across yeah. the room. No, and, and and I I discussed with you on the previous podcast we just recorded and threw away what your outfit should be and what I came up with and I think this is pretty good actually is essentially the look that Dave and Niven. Uh, uh, kind of grew into as he, you know, I mean, he, it, it's the look he had when he played a secret agent, I think in the first Clouseau uh, movie where it's the thin mustache, uh, the, the smoking jacket, the ascot. I think that is how anyone can show up in a tuxedo, but why not do something unique and different? Like a little thin Ben mustache, you know, I was thinking jeans and a t-shirt as usual. You get out of here. You weren't thinking that. You got to dress nicely. But yeah, this is, and it's kind of, you know, part of the reason I haven't really hyped it is because I, this is just what they call a workshop version. I mean, this is just like, you know, kind of work in, in progress. So I don't think people should show up. There's no costumes. There's no big, it's not a big Oh yeah, there's costumes. Oh, there is a costume. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there'll be there'll be costumes, there'll be a set, a very, you know, <sighs> we don't have much of a budget, but yeah, there'll be, you know, decent lighting, there's, you know, but it's so it, but weird. It's, like can you I like I just like I'm flummoxed. I suppose this is what uh maybe Billy Joe Armstrong felt when his, when his music got turned into production, you know. I I don't know how it all became Well, out, I think their budget was a little bit bigger than sure, ours. Well, of baby, course, but but, 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 but the idea that yeah. you can create something that gets twisted like this in such a cool manner just blows me away. Yeah. Me too. I mean, it's, it's, it's really exciting. I have found, you know, like I said, it's an artist friendly world. You've got people who are really, really passionate about the theater, about art, um, intelligent people who, uh, understand what art is and what it's supposed to do and how it's supposed to work. And it's, it's really, um, inspiring to to be around those people and i think i'm doing better work because of it for instance you know we we i wrote all the recitative the spoken parts in prose or in verse but now i've changed it to prose i don't know which version we'll use i don't know what that means versions i don't don't know well just regular regular dialogue instead of verse in fact i not only did it in verse i did it in rhyming verse right um so so now it's just written, you know, more like a, a regular play or screenplay. Why did but you... we have both versions. Well, yeah. just you know, Michael said, "Well, we can we can do it in verse. It'll work." But yeah, if you want to give prose a shot, do that, and you know, then we'll have a choice. And and so I just kind of whip whip through it pretty quickly. But it it you know, it, it's good to have people backing you up who are confident in your work and what you're doing. And 
and uh, it just makes me want to. Yeah, it makes yeah. Me, and it makes me want to work harder. Frankly, yeah. I mean, um, I'm I've always been okay with working if there's no monetary benefit to it, but I it has to be something I'm excited about and creatively interested in and and um, passionate about, and and so that's what it is right now. There's no money in this for me, but it's it's um, it's invigorating. So. So yeah, this is just a workshop version, and and is you know what one of the things I I learned about the musical theater world is that you um, you go through this process of presenting to the public and then going back to the drawing board, and everybody sits down, gets together, at, at, you know, sits around a table and goes, okay, what worked and what didn't, and what changes should we make? So it's this continually evolving thing where even if you have a successful production, which is very difficult. But like 10 years down the road, you might still be tweaking it and making changes or there might be alternate versions or something. So it's this thing that's constantly living, which obviously is is um, and expanding, which obviously is the, the polar opposite of making a record that like you're done with the record and that's it. It's set in stone. And yeah, and, well, you know, but for better or worse, you're stuck with it. And in my case, it's for worse a lot of the time. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I like it when artists, well, depending on the, the song and what they do with it. But like I heard a version of a, so Prince passed away uh, eight days ago or so. Uh, and uh, one of his most famous songs is Let's Go Crazy. I think that's the version of the song that he, 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 I saw a live version of, I think that song from a year or two ago. And it was a completely different version. And frankly, a ton better. I don't like the original version. Huh. I, th- I think it sounds cheesy yeah, actually. I never, uh, I never uh, liked that. And this song. is almost more of like a bluesy version, more of a groove kind of slower that I thought was really interesting actually. I don't know, maybe you know it's interesting, but I, I like I like the idea of of not letting arts art doesn't have to stay static. Music right. doesn't have to stay static. You can it's your you can interpret however you want to, whenever you want to. You know, right? Which and I it have, can cut. Yeah, you can kind of put your own spin on it. And I yeah. think the key the key for me is that I can have approval over all those changes. But I told Michael from the beginning that um, I'm you know, going to defer to his judgment the mo- most of the time because I don't know that world because I'm just learning about it. And, um, but also because he's shown over and over that he gets the piece and that anything that he doesn't get about the piece, he wants to know about it. He has a lot, a lot of questions for me, which is really good. And, and some of them I can't answer. Some of them I have to say, you know, I didn't even think about that. So let's <laughs> let's think about that and let's look at that. But yeah. it's good because you get to know more and more your characters. I mean, everything everything is character driven, um, and uh, so it's you know the more you know about that and about why people are behaving the way they're behaving, then I think the better you get. So the next thing they, they held initial auditions earlier this week. And then the next thing they're going to Skype me in on, uh, on callbacks, you know, the, the people that they think are good enough to call back. And, uh, so that's going to be exciting too, to, to watch these auditions and, you know, have a say in, in, um, and who gets cast in this thing. But yeah, I mean, it's look, I mean, on one level, it's kind of like our little, you know, duct tape and bubble gum. Hey, we're putting on a show thing. It's not a big deal. It's low budget, but yeah, I have to admit I'm excited about it. I don't know if it has any, I, I think it is you know, a big deal. commercial potential, but yeah, to me and my little world, it's a big deal for sure. Well, I, I think it has tons of commercial potential. I mean, there's tons of hooky, interesting, cool songs on there. There's a, a fun story. Uh, it's a little gross at times. So it kind of grosses me a little bit, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot there, actually. And good Lord, I'm cheering for you. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, listen, um, I have to go, but this podcast was so much better than the one we threw away. Don't you agree? I liked them both. No, the first one sucked. Yeah. The pacing's better here because uh, you were a little less long-winded. You're still, yeah, long- well, you're just... still long-winded, but it, you know, less long-winded. We're getting back into the swing of things. We're getting back into the swing of things. That's all. Do you want to try and do one again next week? Yes, I do. Whoa, holy cow. I think we just broke news. This is very exciting. We broke something. All right. Uh, cool. We're done. Okay. See you later. Bye. Bye. I dreamed about a shadow.